0: Are we on? Yep. All right. I am excited.
1: You sound like it.
0: I'm excited. (laughs) I feel like we should make t-shirts that says Bible dingers, king of banter, hashtag on Mm. the
2: back. That's a bold claim. I don't know if we can... King of banter.
0: Oh, bro. I've listened to podcast after podcast.
2: I feel like Joe Rogan's entire show is banter.
0: This is true, but in the Christian realm... I feel like we really are the king of banter. We're the
1: Christian kings of banter. Yeah. We're the banter of truth.
0: Well, as we continue bantering, Mm. I have a question for you and you and all of you listening. Mm. I do have a question and it's an important question.
1: Mm. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready?
0: Are you ready for this? I am.
1: I have to say, though, I'm a little triggered. Are
0: you? You're yeah, triggered?
1: I am a little triggered. Why? The fact that you would say ladies and gentlemen and not include my gender.
0: Oh.
2: That was pretty offensive, Nick. Ladies
0: and gentlemen, <laughs> boys and girls, cockeyed mosquitoes, and bow-legged ants. That's me. You do look like a bow-legged ant. Thank you. You know? Yeah. I'm a
1: bow-legged uncle.
0: No. I don't get that What
1: one. was your question, anyway? Yeah. Did you ask it already? Oh, it just said, Are
2: you ready? (laughs) Oh, oh, here we go.
1: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, triggered. Are you ready?
0: Are you ready for this? Yep. Mark? Ryan? Yep. Yeah. Listener? Dingers? Are you ready for this? Yes. Yes? Yes. Well, you know how we always start the show? And for the first episode of this season, it's going to be no different because I'm excited about this right now, and I have to find the soundbite.
1: Bible Dingers, ding or no ding.
0: Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark, and we are... Unable to find the soundbite. Bible dingers. All right. (laughs) And we are Bible dingers. If this is your first time listening, we start each and every episode with ding or no ding, where I come up with a news headline and they have to decide if it's real or fake. And then we dive into the topic at hand. And this episode is about the book of First Timothy. Mm -hmm. But before we dive in. Are you ready for this? Huge spiders expected to rain down in the East Coast coming very soon.
1: Huge spiders expected to rain down on the East Coast coming very soon.
2: Coming to a theater near you. Oh. Ooh. Maybe
1: uh Maybe we're onto something there.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. Maybe it is true, but like fictionally. Fictionally true. That's yeah. my
1: favorite
0: kind of truth. Yeah.
1: To ding or not to ding? That is the
2: question. What is the answer?
0: What do you guys think? Ding or no ding? Ding. Ding. Ding? Ding. You know, I was gonna start off with like something I thought would get you guys. You just keep clapping, huh? And um, I just really wanted to talk about this. Mm. First, we got the murder hornets. <laughs> I
2: don't know what you're talking about. You
0: don't know about the mortar, the, the mortar, no. the mortar hornets?
2: No, <laughs> Lord of the Rings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the murder hornets. You never heard about those? Nope. Those are the things that came like last year, like mm. during COVID. I, I thought see. that was
2: the spotted lantern flies.
0: No, first we had the murder hornets, then we got the spotted lantern flies. And now an invasive species of spider the size of a child's hand is expected what? to colonize the entire east coast this spring by parachuting down from the sky. Really? Yes. How do
2: they parachute? Uh,
0: yeah, where are they parachuting from? Parachutes of web? Listen. Do you want to know why it matters? according to this article. (laughs) Yeah, tell me. Large Juro spiders, millions of them, are expected Juro. (laughs) Depending where their origin is, I'm kind of thinking I want it to be a Horo spider. Yeah, I could see that. You know... A Joro spider. Yeah. Okay. It sounds delicious. Yeah. Large Joro spiders, millions of them, are expected to begin ballooning up and down the east coast as early as May. Sounds fun. Researchers have determined that the spiders can tolerate cold weather, but are harmless to humans as their fangs are too small to break human skin. Mm. Can you imagine? I mean, can you, can you just guess where they came from? <laughs> Africa. Africa. Because that was almost right on where, where, I guess, where they were from. Spain? No. Mexico? No. Japan. Same thing as the uh, lanternfly. <laughs> oh, The lanternfly either came from uh, Japan or China. One of those two. But did they
2: parachute over?
0: No, but these things are terrifying. They're bright yellow, black, blue, and red, and can grow up to three inches. Three inches. But
2: also it says that they're harmless.
0: And they traveled across the globe... On shipping containers, Uh, just like the lanternfly.
2: Okay, that makes more sense. Always.
1: Then they parachute out of the container,
2: (laughs) right? In camo.
1: And then they.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're named not Horos. They're named Jirogumo, a creature of Japanese folklore that can shape shift into a woman or spider before killing its prey.
1: That makes sense. Oh, lovely. That makes sense. I can see that.
0: And you know what? researchers say there's nothing we can do
1: well i was planning on not going outside of my house for the next year or two anyway Bro, so
0: i don't care if they're harmless or not if these spiders are parachuting down i'm out do you think they're real parachutes <laughs> i hope yeah <laughs> like they, they went to are. a warehouse
2: somewhere like a parachute warehouse <laughs> i
0: hope they are yeah but you know it feels really good to be back i'm happy to be back with you guys mm. you guys feel happy too no no
1: back I'm back I'm back
0: i <laughs> it's <gonna spit> myself <laughs> <laughs> I'm back guys and you're back and you're back and listener you're back Yeah it's the like
2: Yeah I I'm i I'm Bible
0: action is coming anyway this episode is about the book of first timothy and there are some a few things that i want you guys to know before we get into the title that's how we always start the episode But uh, 1 Timothy is a part of a group of epistles written to Timothy and Titus. So if you forget who it was written to, uh, we're going to discuss the title in a moment, but you could just use your brain and say, all right, the only person I have to remember is Titus. (laughs) And that one starts with a T, too. Oh, that's helpful. (laughs) hmm. T. Two. What's the other one? T. T. Okay. Um, The other thing... Uh, that's interesting about the epistles that Paul wrote is there are some of the last things that Paul ever wrote, period. So I found that super interesting. And unlike other letters that we see all throughout Scripture, they're not necessarily written directly to a congregation, although it may... St- have still been read to congregations like we do today. You know, we preach expository sermons through these letters, and we have applicable moments in them for the congregation. But these epistles were directed to individual pastors who led specific churches. Um, And as Paul was coming to the end of his life, he wanted to pass the ministry down to his successors and ensure that order was in place. So Hmm. that was... Was in his brain while he was writing these epistles to these church leaders. Mm. Yeah, so that's the
1: pastoral epistles. First, Second Timothy and Titus is officially the pastoral. I think um, some people will lump Philemon
2: into there as well because it was written.
1: No, actually, it wasn't written around the same time. Why did I? Why did I even say that?
2: Maybe because it was written to one person instead of a church, potentially. Yeah, but, yeah, some people do lump in Philemon. Where are the turtles? Where are
1: they?
0: All right, you know the next section is the title, formerly known as and now known as the turtles. Where are the turtles? Where are they? And the title of this book comes from the recipient of this letter, Thomas. No, I'm only joking. Almost. Timothy. Almost. You're yeah. close, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Timothy, as we said in the beginning of the episode, if you're following. And Timothy's name means one who honors God. And this was chronologically the first letter written to Timothy, which is where the first in First Timothy comes from. Ah, that you makes like sense. Him? Oh. I was thinking that he was just the
1: first Timothy ever.
0: Uh you know? ever yeah. in history.
1: Yeah. And then Second Timothy was written to the second Timothy. Second Timothy. Timothy. Ever. But yeah, that makes yeah, that yeah. definitely makes more yeah, sense. There were yeah, there
2: are
0: multiple Timothy's. Mm. He is there the first tiny Tim
2: Timothy in the Bible. Mm. Foist. The the foist Timothy in the Bible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: the title is First Timothy, but up here we typically say Foist Timothy. Feust. Yeah. yeah. Foist Timothy who wrote this All right so this is going to be a lengthy section uh and it's sort of going to cover a debate about all of the pastoral epistles they're actually the most highly contested Pauline books of the entire Bible the majority honestly of liberal or even atheist scholars would say that Paul didn't actually write these books Um, And that they were written somewhere in the second century. Um, Whereas conservative scholars would say that it was written by Paul in the first century. But yeah, so liberal and atheist scholars would say that it was written after his death by somebody who was using Paul's name as a pseudonym. Um, They do claim that this person wasn't some sort of false teacher um, or somebody who was like up to no good uh, trying to corrupt the Bible or something they do believe that it was somebody who admired Paul and his theology. And this person wanted to keep the spirit of Paul alive by writing in his name. Are you lying to me? Nope. And so I want to go through those arguments because it is, like I said, it is probably the most debated books in the Bible for, for Pauline authorship. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's four major arguments that they make. And as I go through the four, <clears throat> basically I'll mention, <clears throat> I'll mention the first argument, what it is, I'll lay it out for you, and then I'll then sort of contrast it with the conservative counter-argument, and we'll, we'll go through like that. Uh, so the first argument is the historical argument. And this argument is that the chronological references found in the pastoral epistles don't actually fit into the timeline of events found within Acts so basically, there's events in Paul's life mentioned in these pastoral books that you can't find in the book of Acts. <laughs> People in support of non-Pauline authorship will say that because these events don't line up, that the pastoral epistles must have been written by an admirer or somebody after Paul's life. So the counter-argument by conservative scholars to this argument is is that the argument is weak because the same people who question Pauline uh, authorship also don't actually believe in the timeline in Acts. Uh, They don't see Acts as historical literature and more of a myth. And so the logic is sort of faulty there. Uh, If we can't trust the historical events in Acts, why can you use those same events to disprove Paul's authorship of the pastoral epistles? Um, And so... That's not necessarily, in my opinion, a view that completely takes down the historical argument because it is true that there are events in the pastoral epistles that you don't find in Acts. However, it's not possible to hold both of those positions. Mm-hmm. It's not possible to say that these weren't written by Paul because they don't match events in Acts and then also not believe the events in Acts happened. Um that that logic doesn't work out. Most conservative theologians will concede that the events in the pastoral epistles don't line up with the events recorded in acts. Like I said, but it's because it doesn't need to. Um, And that's, that's based on the point I'm about to make right now. The view also assumes that Paul was executed at the end of his second imprisonment. This is what I'm, this is the liberal atheist scholar view is that he was executed at the end of his second imprisonment, which is recorded at the end of the book of Acts. Acts, however, does not record his execution. Acts ends with Paul still in prison. And if Paul would have been executed towards the end of his imprisonment, Luke would have surely recorded this in the book of Acts, as he's essentially the main character of the book of Acts. But that's not the case. And because of that, it's likely that Paul was once again released from prison prison as he expected and he mentioned in the book of Philippians when he was in this imprisonment and also in Philemon which he wrote while he wrote Philippians he mentioned in both of these books that he fully expected to be released from prison and then he went on to perform the events mentioned in the pastoral epistles um, and so that would sort of dis- that would explain the discontinuity between acts, and the pastoral epistles is because the events in in the pastoral epistles happened after Acts was already closed. It was already finished. Yeah. So the second argument that a liberal-leaning scholar would make is the stylistic argument. And the argument here is that the vocabulary used in the pastoral epistles is really different than Paul's typical vocabulary that we see in his other epistles uh he used many words that weren't very common also in the 1st century but were more common in the 2nd century and then also they would say that he didn't he did not use many words that were commonly used in all his other epistles so there's there's essentially the crux of this argument is that his vocabulary sounds very different in the pastoral epistles than it does in the other regular church epistles and then also, another main point of this argument is that the vocabulary sounds more like a second a second century person than a first century person because of the terms that they use. Um, but the counter argument, the first one will go after the commonality of the words used. Um, and basically, a conservative scholar would say, that the sample size of ancient literature from the first and second centuries isn't actually large enough to do a word count and determine the commonality of specific words used by the author of, authors of these books. And so researchers actually say that it's statistically impossible to make the claim that he uses words that a first century writer wouldn't use. Um, that's, that's not a claim that you could possibly make. Also, the pastoral epistles have distinctly different audiences and purposes, which would require a different vocabulary and focus. And you and I do that too. You know, when we're talking to our boss at work, we talk a certain way. You know, we talk more formal and businessy. And then when we're talking to our family or our kids even, you know, we talk really simple and nicely. You know what I mean? It's just completely different (laughs) vocabulary and tones depending on the audience. Yeah, imagine
0: if I was writing a letter to my pastor, right, and then I was writing a letter to the congregants. Exactly. It would sound and look totally, totally different. Right, you would expect it to. Just like using logic, you can make sense of that argument fairly easily. Yep.
1: And then lastly, uh, when it comes to the stylistic argument, is that Paul had also advanced in age quite a bit between his epistles that were written to churches and the pastoral epistles. And he'd been through many life experiences and things like that. So it's really not earth shattering in my opinion to think that somebody's vocabulary would change and evolve within a time span of 10 to 20 years. Yeah. I mean, the things I said 20 years ago, three
0: years ago when we first started Bible thing. Exactly. Completely different different than what we would say today. Completely
1: different. Mm -hmm. So I really don't think the stylistic arguments hold up either, to be honest. Now, the third claim that a liberal leaning theologian would make um, is the ecclesiastical argument. If you don't know what ecclesiastical means, it means it just it relates to the church. Um, Ecclesiology is the study of the church. So ecclesiastical means it it's about the church. So the ecclesiastical argument is this: Critics argue that the church structure found in the pastoral epistles is too advanced and looks much more like the church structure that we see in the second century. And then on top of that, they say that if you read Paul's other epistles, that he's not really interested in church structure anyway. And so why is he spending all this time talking about church structure in these pastoral epistles when in his other epistles he never even talks about church structure? There's three counter-arguments to this. The first one is that the claim that the church leadership was too advanced for the first century is actually untrue. It's just basically not a true claim. In fact, we see in Acts 14, 23 and Philippians 1, 1, that Paul had set up and addressed elders, overseers, and deacons. So clearly, in uh, books that are already agreed upon that Paul wrote in the first century, he, within those books, sets up church leadership. Um, And so, to claim that it that type of leadership doesn't exist in the church in the first century. It's just, it's honestly flat out, just not true. Um, Also, if we contrast the first century church structure with the second century, in fact, it looks even more favorable for conservative scholars, uh, because in the second century, bishops started becoming prominent. And these bishops would oversee a number of churches. And that looks quite different than what we see in all of Paul's epistles. We see Paul using bishop, overseer, and elder interchangeably as a part of a group of individuals who lead a specific local church. And then also, if Paul was unconcerned with church structure, why would he take the time to appoint elders in Acts in the first place? Um, And so I also don't think the ecclesiastical argument really holds up against Pauline Apostleship either. And I don't want to come across as just you know, throwing my bias. I didn't. I don't just agree that Paul wrote these books just because I lean conservative in my theology and my thinking. Yeah, I really spent hours poring over these arguments on both sides, and I'm trying to lay it out with the best arguments and counterarguments that I've come across. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the last argument against Pauline authorship is the theological argument. And basically, the primary argument here is that the heresy being combated in the pastoral epistles resembles Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a heresy that really became prominent during the second century. And since Gnosticism is being combated in the pastoral epistles, they must have been written in the second century. And we've hit on it uh, one or two times in past episodes. Um, Gnosticism is talked about quite a bit. And if you feel like you, you feel left out because you don't know what Gnosticism is, basically, uh, it's a belief system which taught that salvation can be gained through a special form of secret knowledge. And Gnostics believed in this secret spiritual realm in which they gained access to this knowledge, which would put them above others in sort of this hierarchy.
2: Um, I, I have like a favorite soundbite from last season talking about Gnosticism and nick was like shh secret knowledge
0: mm don't tell anybody i don't remember that yeah me neither yeah. but we need to bring that back cuz it sounds like a great soundbite yeah it does we got to make it a soundbite ah. Ah. ah we got to make you
1: saying that and then pushing that button into like this meta soundbite video bite yeah oh a video bite yeah that would be well, oh, play the video oh,
0: like a
2: gif or a gif what is it
0: well do you say Jod, or do you say? We're not god.
2: having this argument right now.
0: I say, say gif. Do you say jod or god? I say jod. Okay, so <laughs> a jif. Then. Or do you say "gift? I'm giving you a gift for Christmas. I do. All right. So do you say that? Oh, that was very generous of you for giving me that gift. But no, 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 they they're words that are spelled similarly mm. than gif, like mm. like a gift. I see. You don't say "gift" or,
1: or yeah, nobody says "gist" either. Say "gist," the gist of the argument. No, yeah, no. You, you do you get the gist of what I'm saying? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Okay.
2: Jod loves you. Do you jet what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that was uh, the argu- the
1: theological argument against Pauline authorship that it seems to be combating Gnosticism, which really grew to prominence in the second century. So see all the. Um, are you about to oof me? Ooh. So as you see, you see all the commonalities here. They're trying to line up arguments that would push authorship to the second century. Now, the argument to this is that while everyone does agree that Gnosticism really grew to prominence in the second century, that's undeniable. It was still in its early stages within the first century. Uh, Paul was combating the early stages of Gnosticism. And that's actually evidenced in these epistles. We know it primarily because the form in which we see Gnosticism in these pastoral epistles is not actually fully matured into the second century core beliefs that Gnosticism was and had become. Uh, It was still within the Christian church at the time of writing, However, 2nd century Gnosticism was its own sect. It was rejected by the church. And then also, it still had influences in the pastoral epistles from the Judaizer community at the time of writing. And this was not the case in 2nd century full-blown Gnosticism. It was its own thing. It was, off, it was not within the church or um, affected by Judaizers or anything like that. So... That's it, man. Those are the arguments for... And against Pauline authorship, after spending some time looking into it, I still believe that Paul wrote it. I think the arguments against Pauline authorship are a little weak. Yeah. Um, but I can see how somebody who doesn't want Paul to have written the books yeah. to accept the arguments. And you, know, what you I mean? know
0: what's wild to me too? There's like this whole debate between like Pauline theology and like Jesus theology, mm. like you have these red letter Christians that mm-hmm. build their theology off of what what Jesus said, and mm-hmm. then you have some other people that just focus on Paul all the time. But I feel like a great balance is just to know your Bible. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I Use agree. everything as a total package. Um, and I think that the, maybe the liberal argument kind of combats, and they they maybe got started by trying to. To, like, go against Pauline theology, maybe. Potentially. You know, it seems like a lot of people have things against Paul because of certain things he says, yeah. including what we're going to, to talk about today.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of controversial stuff in First Timothy.
0: So I think because of those controversial things, people want to pick apart, even starting with the author. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so, but I mean, it's though- interesting stuff. <laughs>
2: I mean, Jesus said a lot of controversial things as well. Of this course, is also true,
0: of course. But Paul's weren't written red letters, so it's you know, yeah, it's not as important. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah,
2: yeah. if it was red, that changes the game.
0: When he wrote it, he had a red pen there. Yeah, yeah. you know.
2: Are we still talking about historical context <laughs> or? Action
0: is coming Action is coming That was all lies So if you're listening Please do not believe Any of that That I just said Not history But there is An actual point That I want to make And an actual question That I want to ask And that is (laughs) Yo 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 When this was written When was this written (laughs) Next section Is the date of authorship And if you go by The liberal atheist view That we just discussed In the previous section Then it was written Somewhere in the middle Of the second century But if you go with more of the conservative view where we pretty much align based on the great argumentation that Ryan presented, then it was likely written sometime between 63 and 66 A.D. And Paul was likely released from his two-year house arrest in Rome in 62 A.D. And from there he went on to Ephesus. And when leaving there, he left Timothy behind to lead the church there. And we read that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. And then he continued on to Macedonia. All right. And it also appears that Timothy wrote to Paul asking if he could leave Ephesus. And Paul instructed him to stay there until he could come back and meet up with him again. And we see that. We don't pull it out of our pockets. We read it in First Timothy chapter three, verse thirteen, and chapter four as well.
1: Mm. Which First Timothy could be in your pocket these days with all these mm. technologies.
0: That's what I'm saying. You know, we pull it out of our pocket. But uh-huh. we don't pull the information out of our pocket. Mm-hmm. We pull our Bible out of our pocket. Which
1: contains the information. Yes. Oh. You know?
0: Yes. It's not the actual physical information that we're pulling out. Right. That's not possible.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Next section is the historical context. Don't we have a soundbite for this? Yeah. I am delivered! I don't think that was it.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was. No, was we, it really? we don't have a soundbite.
0: No, that was it. It definitely wasn't. I feel like last season we had something for historical context. Mm. But we will just use this for now. Historical context. To hear more about the historical background of the Ephesian church, you should definitely go back and go back and listen to our episode on the book of ephesians Mm. and we do quite a lot of work on how the church got started there and also go into detail about the city itself and this episode is already long enough because of how much we have to cover especially your section Mm -hmm. your section was really long um with the authorship debate so we won't talk about that stuff here but make sure you go back and listen to our episode on the book of ephesians yeah, the
1: background of the Ephesian church is actually really interesting. We see the Ephesian church pop up, like, from the beginning all the way to the end mm-hmm. of the New Testament. We see, like, we can watch the church evolve throughout the years because of the all the
2: books that were written to the Ephesian church. Mm-hmm. My chair is so squeaky. You got a
0: lot of cutting to do. In you got a fart, bro? Man.
2: No, just my chair was so noisy. See.
0: Mm. All right, next up is the corpus or the purpose of this book, and we kind of hit on it in the beginning of the episode, and we're going to keep hitting on it scattered throughout this episode, but just to kind of dumb it down, there were three main purposes that were intended when Paul wrote to Timothy, and that was one, to encourage him to stay in Ephesus and deal with the problems there, two, to instruct Timothy on how to pastor a church, and lastly, to to combat false teaching, and instruct Timothy on how to respond and teach. Next up is everyone's favorite section of the show. Fun facts. Timothy began doing ministry with Paul in his late teens to early 20s. In my late teens and early 20s, I was more worried about my sin than I was Mm. definitely about worried about studying the Bible, even though I kind of knew it. Um, I admire Paul a lot more knowing this fact, because if you start that young, you're going to start as as uh, respected as he did towards the end of his life. Mm -hmm. I mean, he put in the work. He put in that work. He put in that
1: work. He wasn't out here fighting around with his bros.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's the point I wanted to make. Thank you, Ryan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Secondly, 1 Timothy doesn't have a great deal of theology in it, as Timothy would have already had sound theology. So Uh Paul wasn't really worried about correcting his theological stances, as he is in other books of the Bible. He was more worried to tell him how to pastor and lead. All right, next up is... Timothy traveled pretty much everywhere with Paul. They're traveling brothers. Oh, Did you know that I they see. were attached at the hip,
2: literally. Like the brotherhood were, of the traveling yeah, pants.
1: Yeah, the brotherhood of the traveling church pants. plants.
2: Oh,
0: they had a travel agency named um, Timol. Timol, 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 or uh, Paulothy, 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 Paulothy. Together, they went to. Berea, Athens, Corinth, Jerusalem, Philippi, Ephesus, and Timothy even stayed with Paul during his imprisonment in Rome. That's pretty
2: intense.
0: Inside? Because Paul
2: was a tent maker. It's
1: pretty good. Pretty good.
2: It's outline time.
1: All right. (coughs) So... (laughs) You're about to do it. You so. preemptively yes, cleared my you throat. You were for about me. to do it. I can
0: always so tell you. So now your bro. throat is clear. I can always tell you. Count don't on you don't have to
1: do it again. Yeah, I appreciate that. I can always tell
0: you. What, out, what else are brothers for besides traveling together? Yeah,
1: and putting on pants and things like that.
0: All right, so putting on pants. It
1: is time to go through the outline of the book, and there is one, two, three, four, five, six, six sections in this book. And the first one is only two verses. That's why I picked to do this one. (laughs) It's the salutation, the formal salutation that Paul always does, where he's all it's your it's your brother in Christ. What are you gonna say it's your birthday?
0: Oh, it's your birthday. We're gonna party like we're gonna party like it's your birthday. So that's the first two (laughs) verses is the
1: salutation. Then the second part is Timothy's mission in Ephesus. And this is essentially the rest of chapter one. And uh, it talks about how essentially Timothy is the pastor of the Ephesian church now. Um, And I break that down into two main parts. And that's verses 3 through 11 and verses 12 through 20. Verses 3 through 11 discusses the task that Timothy faced. And that task was to hold fast and teach true biblical doctrine and not to turn or allow the false teaching of the Judaizers to take hold in the church. All right. And then verses 12 through 20 are Paul's exhortations to Timothy to be faithful. And that, that also breaks down, his exhortation breaks down into a positive encouragement and a negative warning. Uh, his positive encouragement is that we were sinners but Christ in his grace saved us from our horrible sins. And Paul here claims that he was the chief of sinners. That's that famous verse.
0: you mm-hmm.
1: are talking about he's the sinner chief.
0: Yeah, there's like 500 Instagram accounts named chief of sinners. Is there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's too many chiefs. I know.
1: There's yeah. only one chief. Who's the real chief? Paul. Me. Paul is the real Oh. Alright, so that is the positive encouragement that Christ in his grace saved us and then his negative warning he actually mentions by name two people Hymenaeus and Alexander who he handed over to Satan for quote shipwrecking their faith and blaspheming um, So he tells Timothy these two dudes were blaspheming and I handed them over to Satan So. Boo, you was... He is not a man of God. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> what were you saying?
2: <laughs> I see your I hand. I am <laughs> delivered! <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <Could> you... <laughs> no, go if this was after Paul's real shipwreck, maybe. Mm. He's like, I've been in the shipwreck, so I know I can call people shipwrecked. I've been
1: shipwrecked, and I'm nothing like these guys <laughs> over I here. I could
0: use it as a verb out of context now.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a lot more punchy. Punchy, You know what I mean? All right. So that is the second section. Then the third section is instructions for Timothy concerning the life of the local church in Ephesus. That's chapter two through the middle of chapter four. And this is where it starts to get a little dicey, fellas. We're mm. Get a little dicey in this section. You know what I mean? We're going to take the dice and we're going to get dicey. Um, the first seven verses is basically how Timothy needs to prioritize praying for the salvation of people. Uh, he says that Timothy ought to make it a priority to pray for all people, people, <laughs> all people to, to play Bible Make it a priority to pray for all people, whether they be rich or poor, powerful or not powerful. We ought to pray for the salvation of everybody. Also, in verses 8 through 15, this is what I was talking about earlier, with the dice. Mm-hmm. You remember? Yeah, the lots. With the dicey. This is where it gets dicey. Oh, okay.
0: Oof. Verses- oh,
1: I have that. Why, do I, why would I waste time Why would you say it <gasps> when you can touch it? <laughs> verses 8 through 15. And this is the primarity. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the primal... The primal section of I scripture. Just quit. You guys should replace me. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's sucking. Okay. You know? I would do even worse.
0: Honestly. The primarity. Go go on. I know what you
1: mean. Honestly. This is where if I haven't mentioned before, this is where it gets dicey. <laughs> 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 this is verses eight through fifteen. And it talks about the primary responsibilities of the men and the women in these church meetings. Okay. He's saying, Men do this. Women do this in church meetings. Okay. So there's actually a lot of confusing passages in this portion. Uh, it begins talking about how men should be lifting up holy hands and praying without anger or quarreling. And then also it mentions women being modest. <laughs> modest. It then goes into <laughs> questions that many people have questions about. So that first part about lifting hands Uh, not being quarrelsome, being modest. No problem. No problem. We got that. Okay. But then Paul takes a turn (laughs) and he's like, let me stir the pot a little bit. Let me get dicey. Let me get a little dicey. Let me get those dice. So first there is the passage that says a woman shall learn in quiet submissiveness in church. Then this portion goes into how Paul does not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over men. And then it talks about how women are to remain quiet in church because Adam was formed first and Eve was deceived into transgression. And lastly, it talks about how women are, quote, saved through childbirth. So, what do we do with all those passages? Well, personally, I am not going to do any- anything with those passages. <laughs> I am going to save this for Special episodes in the future, as these topics would take over an hour, yeah, for sure. For us to unpack the <laughs> role of men and women not only in church but in life, the complementarian view, the egalitarian p- view, the patriarchal view, the matriarchal view. There's many views that go into these verses that have their own opinions on it, and for us to sit here and unpack arguments and counter arguments for each and every one. That would take an entire other two yeah. hours for yeah. this episode. So because of that, we are offering one time only for two hundred payments of nineteen ninety nine future episodes where we are going to discuss complementarianism and egalitarianism with experts in these fields. Only two
0: hundred payments? Yeah. That's amazing deal. I don't know. Yeah. It- exactly. Wow. So Buy stay it now, tuned. And if you call in now, Mm-hmm. And you make your first one hundred payments right now. We will include a free prayer cloth.
2: Uh huh. And we'll
1: throw in a holy kiss too. You know what I mean? Oof. All right. I'll kiss so, the prayer so cloth.
2: Is a prayer cloth like a cheesecloth?
1: Sort of. No. You squeeze
2: the prayers out of it,
1: and and you you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Okay. I do want to say something about this section very briefly. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, maybe I could say this without knowing fully the other side. But I feel like from what I'm seeing, no one takes this as, like, women shut up and never say anything Mm. ever in the church setting. You have no roles at all, and you just have to sit there and take everything the man says. Yeah. I don't know if, like, the Christian community would ever say this is what it means. So if you're reading through this for the first time, I want you to just take a deep breath and know that no matter what side you're on, I think the debate is more so if women can be pastors and if women can lead a church more so than the debate is that women need to just sit there and not say anything at all. Mm-hmm. I think there's a passage in 1 Corinthians, right? Is it 1 mm-hmm. Corinthians or 2 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians. that talk about this. And what it comes down to is that there was a a major cultural difference in the way the church was uh, presented to the congregants. Women sat on one side, man sat on the other and if, if they wanted to talk while the preacher was preaching, they would literally have to scream on the other side of the room. And most of the time, the women had the kids. So a lot of these passages are more so like, hey, in the middle of church, let's not scream in the middle of the service with the kids and try to talk to your husband. Like, hey, I need help over here. I have kids over here. I need help. Can you pass me a diaper? Let's not do that. Let's respect the church setting. And a part of understanding these texts are understanding what the cultural differences were back then of woman's role. That they they really did have the kid like 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. And when they needed help, because they were on the other side of the church, they were usually screaming at their husband. So I just want you to be rest assured that no matter what side you're on, if you're a woman listening to this, I don't think any of the side that we present are going to actually believe that you just need to sit there and not say anything at all. hmm um, anyway, I just wanted to get that off my chest.
2: Yeah, that I, is true. I grew up in a church that I feel like followed these pretty closely. Yeah. It was a very conservative church. Um, and yeah, the women, they didn't preach and they didn't pray like at gatherings, but they definitely had a voice mm-hmm. in the way things were ran in the church. And uh, they had a big part in Sunday school and, you know, discipling people. And certainly that affects yeah. people's lives a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. And to say that Paul would mean women literally need to shut up, would contradict other writings that show that women actually did have some type of authority in the church. I mean, I don't think we can say they were pastors, but we can also use them as an argument to say, no, women matter, and they're important to the church, but they were just structured differently in the way of who should a pastor be, and so on and so forth. But that's not to say that women are useless they're very important all throughout scripture. So I do want to take some time to say that if you're a woman listening, don't be discouraged. You're very important to scripture and to the church. It just scripturally we just have different roles. And and honestly, I don't think that's really hard to swallow in in any of situa- any other situation in life. Like this is my role, this is what I do, this is what I'm supposed to do. That's like just the structure of everything, really. Mm-hmm. Everything we do um but yeah, anyway. but
2: Maybe you're just mansplaining right now. Yeah, he's definitely mansplaining right now.
1: Yeah. He's getting a little dicey right now, for sure. You're dicey Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Dicey Nicks. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And to that point you were you're talking about how important certain women were. Uh there was a lot of churches that met in women's houses that are written about in the New yeah. Testament. Yeah. Lydia's house, Priscilla's house. Quilla. Yeah. Priscilla. Just Priscilla. Well, yeah, it was Priscilla and Aquila. Okay. Yeah. Priscilla was the breadwinner, though. Mm. Um, this is this is uh, a lot of the uh, egalitarian argument. But like I said, we'll we're going to get, get into that. I am going to be honest with our listeners right now. We do have a complementarian speaker booked, ready to go. It has been a, very much a struggle to get an egalitarian on our show. I wonder why. Gonna, I'm, I'm going to be straightforward <laughs> with our listeners. Um if you cannot wait for these episodes because it is going to be about four weeks uh, for the complementarian episode and then five weeks for the egalitarian one, Mike Winger, who I respect very much, spent about eight hours going through arguments for and against women pastorship and these very arguments. So, if you got eight hours to spare, I would I would recommend Mike Winger's uh, YouTube. Yeah, his YouTube page. All right, so that is the dicey ist part of 1 Timothy. Uh, Next is the qualifications for church leaders in chapter 3. And I actually, uh, I'm not going to take much time, but I did want to take some time to read through the qualifications of the elders, which is verses 1 through 7, because I actually really love the qualities that Paul lists out here, and I think it's something excellent that we should all strive for. Mm Mm-hmm um so paul says the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife sober-minded self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard not violent but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And also he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit, fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. Um, so that is the qualification of an elder An elder is a role that you you move into th- after a long period of time, essentially, in your church. That's essentially the highest position in a local church is is an elder in, in many congregational settings. And so, of course, these qualifications are a bit exclusive because it's a big list mm-hmm. of many character traits that you need to have, but I think it's a good list When we're thinking about our sanctification and our holiness, I think it's a good list besides like the fruit of the spirit and things like that to look at, to say, am I adding up to some of these things that Paul expects of the elders? Because it's sort of just something that you can bounce off and look at your own life. Am I doing these things? Do I look like this sort of ideal candidate for leading a church? And so I think it's something that we should be striving for.
0: Yeah, I agree totally. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the qualifications of an elder. And honestly, this is, this is lost in a lot of churches. Mm-hmm. Like they just say, Oh, you want to, you want to volunteer? Oh, we don't have many volunteers. Okay. I'll pick you and you can be an elder. Yep. All right. Yay. We have a team now. Mm-hmm. And, and scripturally that's not how we're supposed to do it. And, and I think he even hits on this uh, a little bit in the book. Don't add leadership to your church right away. Mm hmm. Take your time and make sure they're lining up biblically so that you don't have any major problems in your church, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think this is missing in a lot of churches. Yep.
1: Yeah, I agree. I would say, I would agree and say that many churches, the elder board is simply a group of people who've been there the longest.
0: Yes. And Mm -hmm. so they
1: sort of just have the most say rather than the most qualified people to be. And a lot
0: of the elder board also are the people with the most money.
1: That, that is a sad fact, and you know, it, it is true in some cases, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate, and I'm yeah. not calling
0: any particular church out here. I'm just saying this is a sad reality. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to the Bible and say, are we matching up, then we our church would be in a lot better stage than a lot of the churches that we see today.
2: Yep. Um, I have one opinion. I know it doesn't say there, were, there weren't there were worship leaders back then probably, but I, I feel like it, this does apply also to them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, churches do get kind of desperate for anyone to step up. And sometimes even the worship leaders are just like these people who...
0: Who are good at music.
2: They're good and at music, it. but maybe not strong in their faith. And yeah. Yeah. they're leading people, you know, every Sunday in mm-hmm. worship. But yeah.
1: Yeah. And yeah. maybe there wasn't necessarily a worship leader like we think of today, but there was definitely singing in the early church. That was part of church gathering. For sure. Not yeah. to forsake yeah. the singing. <clears throat> so,
0: And I think part of it is also how we section off the music and we call that, like we call them the worship team, or we, we, we call music worship, and and which it is. But I think if we have a proper understanding of worship, understanding that the sermon and the music and everything that we do as a church is worship as a whole, we'll also then come down to the worship leader and say, just like it's the pastor's responsibility to teach truth, and just like it's the elder's responsibility to teach truth, it's also your responsibility to teach truth if you're going to be up there leading us in music. Because really, worship is worship, and we should be able to do it according to what the Bible says is right. Mm. You know? And another thing I want to add, too, with the elders, I mean, so many elders feel like it's the pastor that's over them. Mm-hmm. You know, But biblically speaking, it's really the elders and then the pastor. Well, typically, would you agree with that?
1: that? No. Well, Paul usually interchanges those words a lot: elder, yeah. overseer, pastor, bishop. He sort of interchanges them, and uh-huh. many times it is. It's a group of people that are in, and I'm, I don't really want to get into ecclesiology that much because there is debate on how churches should be structured. But in my, uh, in my opinion, and I am stupid, um, but in my opinion, <laughs> uh, so. I think that at least in in the Pauline letters to Timothy and Titus, it does seem like an elder board led congregation is what the Bible is, is
0: how it's for, led yeah for and, and the yeah. pastor's in there of course as part the of pastor the elder matters, board. but what I'm trying to say is just because a pastor says something doesn't necessarily make it like cemented into what the church should has be to the do. board. yeah it should be the collaborating. board it should be the elders and the pastor discussing things and voting according to what the needs are of the church and what's according to Scripture. Yep. If, if you're in a church and the pastor's just calling all the shots, it's probably one of the first signs of being in an unhealthy church.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I grew up in a brethren church which had no pastor. It was mm. just elders.
1: Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Interesting. All right, so that is the elder section. It also gets a little controversial uh, there because of how it speaks about elder needing to be a one-woman man, and that gets into debates about, still with complementarianism and egalitarianism, whether or not a woman can be uh, an elder. And also it discusses uh, the issue of divorce, whether that means that it cannot be a divorced man or it cannot be a man with multiple wives or... um, a man that is, has been unfaithful to his wife. So there's a lot of debate on that particular phrase in that section as well. Mm -hmm. Um, next is the qualifications for deacons in verses eight through 13. And the qualifications here are similar to that of an elders, but are not quite as robust or exclusive. Um, so basically they're traits, like you can't be addicted to wine. You can't be greedy for dishonest gain which they're still a sign of holiness and they're important traits to have. However, it's not as in-depth as the elder qualifications. Essentially, more people would qualify to be a deacon deacon. than to be an elder. All right, and then we are rounding out the third section with the nature of the local church in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, which is that it is a pillar of truth. And this letter is to tell us how the church is to behave. That's why Paul was writing to Timothy is what he's saying in these verses. And then also it speaks about um, the problem of apostasy in the church that is to happen in the latter days, according to Paul here in chapter four, verses one through five. Uh, He talks about how some will depart from the faith by adding laws that don't belong, such as forbidding marriage or certain types of foods. Shout out to monks and nuns. Hmm.
0: I'm sure they're listening. Yeah. All right. Next to close out the last two, the last three sections of First Timothy, uh, section four is instructions concerning leadership of the local church. Uh, section five is instructions for groups within the church, and the last section is the conclusion of the book. But to start in section four. Uh, basically, Paul was talking about the leader's personal life and public ministry in chapter four, verses six through sixteen, and basically he's saying to train themselves for godliness. And actually, what I found super interesting um, is that uh, our friend Dwayne from mm-hmm. the Bar Network, you know, he's mm-hmm. the the leader of the Bar Network. Big Kahuna. Yeah, um, our great friend. Um, he has First uh, Timothy four eight written on his gym shirts. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, if you read this, it's saying that, you know, uh, doing physical exercises and taking care of your body definitely has some benefit. So he's saying even in Scripture, it says it has some benefit. So we Mm -hmm. can't disregard it as something that we don't want to do. But Paul is saying that even though working out your body or doing other things might have a great benefit to you, nothing beats godliness. Mm. Nothing is more beneficial than living a godly life. Are you doing? Next off is basic principles of effective interpersonal relationships in chapter 5, the first two verses there. In short, it's just saying honor elders, honor younger people also. Basically, it just throws everyone in the pot. Treat them all like fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. If you're looking at someone else and they're older than you, treat them like a father. If you see someone there, they're younger than you, treat them like a brother or sister. Um, That's, in a nutshell, what he's saying there. And the last section of of, uh, section 4 is how to deal with widows in chapter 5, verses 3 through 25. And it's pretty much saying, honor them. But there are some provisions for widows in verses 3 through 16. If they have children or grandchildren... Uh, They should take care of her because that's the right thing to do, right? If you have family and that person is a widow and you're a grandchild or a a child of that person, you should definitely prioritize her and take care of her. And uh, the widow should hope in God and pray often. So these are instructions that Paul is giving for widows. If you're unfortunately a widow... It would be a great thing to have all your hope, not in the things of the world, but in God and pray often. And it would be smart for younger widows to marry again. And he gives uh, a lot of reasons for that. Definitely go in there and read. Um, But just to close this section off, because it's already a longer episode, that's pretty much in a nutshell what he's saying. Younger widows should definitely marry again. And then lastly, the the discipline and a selection of elders uh, that we talked about before in this section in chapter 5, verse 17 through 25, he's saying that elders should definitely get paid for their work and elders should never show favoritism and they should stay pure. So I know there's a, a lot of debate in this also, and, and maybe at a later time we can get back, we can get into this. Um, and I know we read books on it where people feel like you shouldn't get paid for ministry. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not on that side. Um, we believe that if people are dedicating their whole life to the church and maybe it might be their only job, why wouldn't we pay them? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. especially if the church is in good standing to pay them, pay them. Mm-hmm. Um, section five are instructions for groups within the church. We have instructions for slaves, false teachers, those committed to Christ, and the wealthy. First off, in the first two uh, verses of chapter six. For the slaves, this is another big controversial issue here. But we're just gonna keep it rolling. The slaves were people who were treated extremely well. They're not the slaves that we think that existed today, or you know, a couple hundred years ago, where they just had whips. Mm-hmm. You know, these were slaves that did work for a, a certain person or, or family or whatever, and they were treated respectfully. Mm-hmm. Even,
1: yeah, yeah, and we'll get into that a little more in the Philemon episode, which is yeah. essentially entirely about slavery.
0: Yeah, and they even had they had the option to go to church mm-hmm. and to sit there and participate. So it's not like you're, you're not human. I'm just going to disregard you. But we'll get into that. Um, anyway, for slaves, we should show respect to them if that's their job. False teachers, and this is very interesting, in chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. What does Paul say about false teachers? They're arrogant. And he straight up says that for false teachers, a show of godliness is just a way for them to become wealthy. Mm-hmm. And we see that today. We literally see that today. Shout out, Joel, if you're listening. Uh, Joel Osteen, I hope you're listening. Maine. <laughs> Shout out, uh, Creflo Dollar. Maine. Shout out, uh, Benny Hinn. <coughs> Shout out, who am I missing? Uh, Ryan Allen. Oh, shout out Ryan Allen. Yeah, yeah. Shout out all those people who got rich off the word and continue to preach a false gospel. Paul has words for you here. Next is instructions for those committed to Christ in chapter six, verses eleven through sixteen. Run from evil, fight the good fight, hold firm to the promises of God, obey him and stay true to Jesus Christ. I mean, honestly, if if we listen to that advice, we'd be in. In good standing with God, even more so than we are now. If we just took some of this stuff, like Ryan was saying to the elders, if we just read it and and look at a mirror and say, "Do we do some of these things?" We'd be in good shape. For the wealthy, though, uh, verses 17 through 19. If you're listening and you're wealthy, we have a Patreon group. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> seriously, if you want to join. We would definitely appreciate you becoming a member of Patreon for as little as $1,000 a month. That's it.
1: That's all you have to pay if you're wealthy.
0: So (laughs) we We promise we won't tax you. No, no, no. Uh, Kidding, kidding. But seriously. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) To the wealthy, don't trust your money. Give it. Freely. <laughs> to Bible Diggers. Bible com. <laughs> if you don't know how to sign up, you can find us there. Uh, <laughs> no, no, for real, for real. Don't trust the money. Be rich in good works and be generous. Uh, make sure you freely give. <laughs> if you have money, uh, Paul is saying, don't keep it to yourself. Right. Don't be arrogant and foolish. Don't put all your trust in that money because like a lot of people that that have money i mean in all reality right mm-hmm. like if they can afford whatever they want period if they need a house they buy a house if they boom. need a car they buy a car boom if they need medical stuff they just buy it buy it they buy that hospital if they want a laptop they buy a the laptop boom. if they want twitter they just buy twitter they buy it hey Ay- Boom. why would they pray why you know what I mean? You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if you actually put all your trust in that money that buys you what you think buys your happiness, you're not happy at all. That's why we see a lot of these celebrities who are rich, um, unfortunately, commit suicide because true happiness only comes from God. And if we put our trust in God, someone, someone say amen out I am there. Delivered. If we put our trust in God and not in the money that we have, true hope and, and true happiness... And ultimate joy is only found in Christ Jesus. What is that? (laughs) You added slow motion too?
1: What?
2: What do you mean, bro? That's been around forever, bro. Were you you even here last season? Bro. I am delivered!
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the thing about this soundbite takes a while. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Yeah. But good thing we could talk over it. Mm hmm. Good thing. All right. To close it off, we have the concluding charge and benediction in chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. A charge to Timothy to guard what God has given him. Avoid godless, foolish discussions. (coughs) (coughs) Yes. So you might not be Timothy, but we will say guard what God has given you and avoid godless, foolish discussions like the ones that we're having. All throughout this episode,
1: yeah, that's why I'm oofing right now. Yeah, if you didn't pick up on that, yeah, 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 because it's pretty much all we do.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> but the thing is, it's all on the label. So if you call it foolish discussion, then it is a foolish discussion. But if you call it banter, oh, I see. Then I
1: see the it difference. It becomes.
0: There. God biblical. I just went from feeling convicted to feeling nothing. I went from feeling convicted to feeling connected. (laughs) How (laughs) you doing? How you doing? So, anyway, that was our episode on the book of First Timothy. And we are back, and we're gonna be rolling episodes out once a week for the next couple of weeks. And we have some good ones in the mix. And I don't know about you guys. But I am looking forward to to starting to record again. I'm definitely looking forward to finishing the Bible. Um, It's taken us a couple years, and I'm looking forward to what our future is going to look like and what our episodes are going to look like after we're done with the Bible. Done with it. Can't wait. uh, There are some serious changes that are going to be made, but I think they're all going to be amazing. Serious changes. Anyway, Ryan. Yeah? Do you want to tell them? Those wealthy people listening, those incredibly rich, amazing, wonderful people, how they can help us out.
1: Yes. Uh, You can go to BibleDingers.com and on said website, we have links to everything that your heart could desire. We have links to blog posties. We have links to videos that we have curated upon our YouTube we have links to this episode that you are currently listening to. Mm. We have a link for that. We have links to our social meteors. We have links to our Patreon. Meteors. And let me tell you. Meteors? Let me tell you. We are completely 100% funded by our patrons. We do not do advertising. We do not sell this content to anybody or anything. Uh, we are not. Collecting your data and selling it to North Korea like some other Christian <laughs> podcasts are doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oof. I'm talking to you, Alex Zink, <laughs> for
0: oh. selling my data to North Korea. I'm sick of it. Okay. Ooh. Giving a <laughs> shout out to a person that ne- never listens. What? Alex doesn't listen? No, he doesn't listen. I love you, Alex, because I'll make you listen to this one. I'll put it in the chat. But
1: yeah. I it's thought his fortunate. listenership was undying but i guess he turned off the light this little light of mine Oof, you know i'm going to blow it out yep anyways you can go to our patreon and support us if you appreciate the ministry we're doing like i said we are 100% funded by our patrons you are the ones who make this happen and to our patrons our wonderful dinger nation uh we love you and we are thankful for you
0: definitely definitely it's been so, it's been amazing to get to know all of you I look forward to our relationship growing as the years go by. But if you are not a part of Dinger Nation, then make sure you go on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and search at Bible Dingers across the board. And while you're there, just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Hit like, hit follow, hit subscribe. But most importantly, ding on
2: i Dingers my I'm in every single Bible just I just want to be righteous. Plans my faults, my heart. If you want to be righteous,
0: give me the the bean.